Welcome to Z-Code Sports Betting Podcast, your place where insider secrets, tricks, and systems are revealed to help you become a successful sports investor. Let the show begin. Hi guys, Jake here and welcome to another episode of our Z-Code Sports Betting Podcast that will help you become a successful sports investor. We try our best to bring you the best of the best, the most inspiring guests who share their message, their systems and their picks with you in order to help you succeed. Today, my guest is special. So special he has been with Zcode since 2016 and has already created so much valuable content that we could turn it into a massive book. His name is Anthony and he is a sports investor from the UK. You may not see him so much on the Zcode wall, but he is extremely active within the forums. All right, Anthony, thank you for joining us. Could you tell us a little bit about your background, where you're from, and how did you get started with sports investing? I'm from the UK, in a little village outside of London. Career-wise, I'm a, an electrical engineer. Mm-hmm. But back in 2008, I started looking more concentrating on my, my betting. Mm-hmm. Of, uh, going professional. I had a few things I had to do to satisfy the wife, of course. You know, stuff like paying off mortgages. Make sure kids finish college mm-hmm. and then proving to her that we could live on my betting alone. That took until about 2011 when I went more or less full time, just doing part time work as needed. Mm-hmm. And basically, from the end of 2011 onwards, I've been doing sports investing full time. Oh, wow. Is that when you joined Zico as well around that time? I didn't find Zico to about 2016. Oh wow! Mainly because at the time I was looking at looking at uh, betting on other sports outside of the UK. Mm. Whereas before that, it mainly been tennis, horse racing, and some soccer. All right. So, are you still sticking to your original sports, as in horse horse racing, soccer, and tennis, as you mentioned, or are you betting on other sports as well now? Um. Mainly, it's still horse racing and tennis, but I now do ice hockey. I do some American football. I'm not very good at it, despite <laughs> streaks I might get. I, I always say you could write what I know about American football on the back of a, a postage stamp. Mm. Uh, basketball, I watch now. I never used to watch it. Ice hockey, <laughs> I always watch, but never bet on. Mm-hmm. Mainly because my other half's Canadian. It's the sport right. she watches. So, so I, I would imagine horse racing is your main sport, though. That's where you make the most amount of money, uh, but based uh, on your analysis. <laughs> it's split between straight betting and trading. I still trade a vast so amount assuming, of All right. Also horse racing. So I'm assuming you're a bet for a user. Or bet deck, even depending on whichever you use. But uh, there's a couple of traders I saw in Z Code as well. Um, aside from you, I saw Ben Ozzy uh, trading sports as well. Yes, he does. And Stuart, I think, to look at doing it as well. Mm. Uh, the things uh, are moving a bit better with uh, horse racing recently in Z Code as well, which makes me quite excited. Yeah, January for me is always my worst month. I, I don't know why, but if I can slog my way through January, I'm, I'm normally quite happy if I'm only taking a slight loss at the end of the month. Mm. 
that's on the straight betting. Trading is is far easier because you're not actually, you don't actually care who wins the race. Yeah, you course. just want to move in the direction you want it to go. Same with tennis, really. Mm, tennis. Yeah, of course. Yeah, great for trading, but those last minute comebacks are ridiculous sometimes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you have bad months. You have good months. Of course, you've got to look at it always long term. I Definitely. don't set myself targets any longer because that just adds pressure. To try Doesn't and reach it. it actually? Yeah, it's a fair point. It just makes you think about it. Like, oh, I didn't hit my target today. I didn't hit my target this week. I didn't hit my target this month. And like, oh, whatever. <laughs> Adding pressure. <laughs> just have to, to get you. on. If you've got a system and long term it works, go with the system. Don't mm. worry about the day to day stuff. Uh, I'm yeah, gonna everyone. ask you the next question. Because mm-hmm. I think it's an interesting one. I was trying to sort of develop the conversation with that, the second question that is. Um, so obviously, betting in the UK has gone through a lot of changes recently. And for those listeners who don't know what betting in the UK is like, think of Ireland and think of every single pub in Dublin, for example. You're going to go from one end of Dublin to the other and you are going through at least a single pub on every high street. Um, that's basically how betting, at least in London, looks like, where you have a bookmaker on every corner of the street. Um, but that has been changing recently, and there uh, have been some changes in the industry, politically. I suppose there has been an introduction of a lot of taxes, and I'm probably sure you're going to know more about this. But cutting short to the question, could you tell me about what sort of changes are going through in the UK and sort of what bookmakers do you use and recommend for people who are betting from the UK? The main change in the UK lately has been the book, the high, high street bookmakers have things called a fixed betting odds terminal. Mm. It's basically a slot machine. And most of the shop's profits have been coming from those. Mm. Recently, the government has put limits on that now to cut it down because they are seen seen as gambling. A lot of people are getting hooked on them and the government's decided that's not good and they're shutting them down. They're limiting the maximum wins and also how much time you you can bet. That, in turn, will affect the bookmakers' profits. Bookmakers don't like losing. UK is especially, and their main way of staying in profit is to limit the accounts of anyone deemed a winning better. They don't only want to make money from the juice, they want to make the money from both sides of the bet. So UK successful UK bettors do get restricted. Mm. There are one or two bookmakers who are better than others. But going from what I saw recently of, you know, the number of people on restricted accounts of bookmakers, some of them are 50% of their account holders. Mm. And we're talking about sort of one or two main companies managing pretty much every single bookmaker in the UK, to be honest. You have, uh, I think, Ladbrokes is connected to Coral and they also have uh, some other other bookmakers, but it seems like it's it's domin- dominated by pretty much few companies. 
Uh, Paddy Power. Yeah. We've also joined with Betfair, which is also a betting exchange as well as a bookmaker. Mm. Uh, as you say, Coles with Labrooks. Bet365 is still probably the main bookmaker for most people and probably the biggest as well. Mm. But you do have quite a few smaller bookmakers still. Uh, there's t- 10 bets, race bets. Actually, 10 bet is pretty good. I used it previously in the past. They, they have very good withdrawal policy. It takes about a few seconds for the money to go through to your account. Yes, I don't, I've never actually withdrawn from a bookmaker. That's one way of getting a limited betting account. My book. I, I, I make profits with bookmakers, but I will tend then to lay off the profits to Betfair. Mm. So I look like I'm losing to the bookmaker or you know holding my own. Yeah. But to actually, if you start withdrawing money from a bookmaker regularly, they will basically shut down or limit your account. Yeah, they won't be happy about the losses. <laughs> But I have, at the moment, I've only lost one account, which was last year, which was William Hill, and I slowly got it back again. Mm. But at the moment, I've probably got about 20 bookmaker accounts. Oh, wow. So I just go down the list, Bet365, Paddock Power, Skybet, Labrooks, Betvictor, Coral, <laughs> Unibet, Betfred, Blacktype, uh, Matchbooks. One eight eight bet. That's an impressive list. <laughs> bet. Probably one of the better ones for football. Marathon bet for the odds. Mm. And then I've got a bet online account, which is a dollar account, and I've got a Pinnacle account as well for a VPN. Yeah, that's not an easy one to use. It's been recently banned in the UK. I think they they lost the share in the market. No, it, Pinnacle withdrew to the from the UK on for reasons of tax. All right, okay. They, they were being because they are one of the better bookmakers that basically balances its winners and losers and lives off the juice. Mm-hmm. Their profits aren't as high as the other bookmakers, and the tax take was too much for them. Ah, okay. So naturally. You bet on horses quite a lot, and yes. your knowledge in, in this department is quite impeccable. I mean, if you if people saw your forums, if they haven't, they should, because you go through everything, and you give a very good reason why you're going with a specific horse that day. Um, could you tell us about the general strategy, strategy and how does horse racing in Europe sort of differ from horse racing in the US, which you have mentioned recently in your post as well? The main difference between U.S. horse racing and European or even Asian Australian horse racing is the betting. In America, most of it is trackside betting. Mm. You're, you know, you're betting from online. You're placing odds on what they is a tote system. All the bets on the winner are put in a hat divided by the number of people betting and the odds are determined, which can only be done after the race is finished. Mm-hmm. So although you may be laying a bet at three to one or decimal four, 
you're not guaranteed those odds at the end of the race. In you know the rest of the world, basically, if I put a, a bet on with bet three five at four to one before the race, and the horse wins, I will be paid out at four to one. Mm-hmm. Therefore, finding value is harder because at the end of the day, what we're we're after is is value in, in the odds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a good example I did recently where I was doing trackside betting on a a second favourite, which was odds of six at the time. Just before the race, a large amount of money went down on it. It won the race, and I got paid out at one point eight. Which is terrible. There's no value in that for me, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially for uh, horse racing. I mean, it, this would be pretty okay for American sports, for example, but you're paying on a single horse to win a race at 1.8 odds. That's Most sports where it's two teams, 1.8 to is quite decent. Horse racing where you might have a 16 horses in a race and you're trying to whittle that down to the one horse you think is going to win. Betting odds on is not good. No. The odds aren't immediately stacked against you. Uh, basically, way of, my main way of choosing horses now is I focus on the trainers first. What sort of form is the trainer in? Mm. I look at the track. If it's a galloping track... Is the race going to be a slog where stabbing is going to come in? Mm. I'll look, look at the jockey, but the jockey is not as important as the trainer, the horse, or the track, in my opinion. He's there to guide the horse, and he's going to follow the trainer's instructions. Mm. The difference, actually, on tracks between American and UK tracks is American tracks are in the main oval. They're very flat. Even the turf tracks are reasonably flat. And from start to finish, you can work on time-based running, how quickly they're going to run each section of that race. Oh, wow. That information on British tracks isn't actually really available, strangely enough. It's mm-hmm. not something you come across easily. I find American horse racing easier in that respect because I can envisage how the various horses in that race are going to run that race, who's going to be mm-hmm. leading whether or not they're going to be able to hold that lead from the wire to the wire. Mm. We will hold up horse, you know, running in, in the middle of the pack, get to that last turn, put his foot on the accelerator and overtake it. It's it's picturing how the race will be run. I get it right roughly about 30-40% of the time, which isn't bad. Especially on for average, horse racing. Yeah. I, on American horse racing, that is. It's not so good on British horse racing all the time. Mm. On average, I think I will get in the top three roughly about 60% of the time. So race reading is quite a skill to, to acquire. Mm. British horse racing, if I hit 25%, I'm happier. But saying that, the, the odds are also more in my favour. So I can hit a lower percentage at higher odds and still have the same outcome at the end of the day. Uh, Do you attend any of the races, actually? Sorry? Do you attend any of the horse racing events yourself? I do. I try to get to the track two or three times a week. Oh, wow. 
but so I live I live in Essex, and my local track would be Chelmsford. <laughs> All weather track. But saying that, the other tracks aren't too bad. You know, the roads in in, in UK are, are great for travelling about. Mm. I was actually sort of, wondering. Sorry for stopping you there as well. Um, you've mentioned a great deal of uh, different analysis points. Do you take weathering into consideration as well in horse racing, or is that not much, not not of much importance to you? No, it's important, and that would come under sort of the track. Okay. Horses prefer, you know, they say horses for courses. They'll prefer a track. In this country, unlike America, tracks can run right-handed or left-handed. American horse racing is mainly right, right-handed, or you know, turning left all the time. Uh, look at a horse when it's running. You need to know which is its leading leg at the pair. If the first one's hit down is its left leg, it's going to prefer a right-handed track. If the first leg to land is going to be the right leg, it's going to prefer a left-handed track. What they're actually running on, how soft the ground is, can also be taken account. If you have a horse that has a high knee action, it will prefer a more muddier ground. If it's action is more galloping where it you know the, the hoof barely lifts off the ground it's going to prefer a firmer track so there's certain horses i back in the mud and there's certain horses i wouldn't mm. again it's knowing the horse and it goes under the ground conditions and the track certain tracks will what we call undulating where there'll be sort of a, a bumpy track some horses like it some don't mm-hmm as you you know make I make notes on every horse and on I more or less can say that you know I've got ten runners in this race it's on this course it's a right-handed course so that's you know this runner won't like it and that one won't like a right-handed course it's a galloping track and this horse is built for stamina no point going for that because it's going to be run too fast and you sort of, you know, you whittle them down to, and you end up with sort of three or four horses in the end. Mm. But more or less got to win it. Of those horses, you know, most horse racing, the favourite will win roughly 30% of all races. Second favourite will take up another percentage up to about, which means the first two will be 60% more or less to win it. Mm-hmm. And 90% of the top four horses in the betting will win. What you're looking for is that 10% of the horses at better odds who are going to win the odds and be better value. It takes, roughly it will take me per race about half an hour to an hour to work out who I'm going to go for. Oh, wow. All right, so I guess we're ready to move on. I think. By the way, excuse my incompetence when it comes to horse racing. You could ask me any question on tennis and I can answer it, but when it, when it comes to horses, I know nothing, which is, makes it, I guess, good because we can have a conversation. You can teach me about it <laughs> and you can teach other people in this podcast. You've mentioned uh, slow expansion to US horse racing recently um, and you've 
I guess you've sort of answered my question already. Uh, you, do you do believe that horse racing is generally a bit more predictable based on your analysis? Um, but I'd like to understand a bit more how you analyze horse racing um, when it comes to US horse racing rather than UK horse racing or sorry, European horse racing in general. Generally, with US horse racing, there is more information about. If I, I'll bring up a race that's running today, and I'll, I'll talk through what I'm looking at as I'm viewing it. The easiest way of doing this. Right, we have Aqueduct, which is one I've I've put up bets for today, and um, we've got race number one. I've gone for Tis No Bluff. It's the favourite in the race from what I can see at the moment on the Bessie. Uh I'll look at the course and the history of the horse on that, that course to see how it's performed in the past. Most American horse racing, the courses are very similar, unlike the UK. There are oval tracks. They're going to be run on either the dirt or turf. Most tracks have both types on there. They have an, an outer dirt track and an inner turf track. I'll look at the trainer's form. Has he been doing with his runners, and in particular his runners at that track? We next will look at the horse form. And I'll generally look at the last six races to see how it's been performing. Distance, you have to compare because not all races are the same distance. Some are short, some are long. Mm -hmm. In the main, I'm looking here at a one-mile race on the dirt. So it's going to be run reasonably fast. I've narrowed this down to well, initially four horses, but two have actually since been withdrawn. Uh, I love Jackson and Pershing Power have both been withdrawn, who are in my, my list of four horses I decided on. Mm. Jockeys, the more important thing I find for the jockeys, have they, have they sat that horse before? Are they used to that horse? Does the horse know them? Horses react to their riders. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. Next, I look at the odds. That's the weight of money. Mainly here, I'm looking at the odds now, not first thing in the morning, where the you're basically on the tissue price, where you're, you think it's going to be those odds, which is what I normally put in square brackets. That's where I think the odds should be. Is there going to be any value in that horse? The one I've done here was basically a decimal three. The next best horse I valued at 15 to one, which is a nice overlay if it could win, which I don't think it will, unfortunately. You'll bet, you say you'll bet value, but if you're betting value, but the horse has no chance of winning, it's, it's not value, no matter what, it, what, what the odds are. Once... I will try and get a shortlist down to four of who I think will win it. 
and then I have a thing where I'll give certain points to the trainers, certain points to the horse, certain points for a course. The horse's previous run at distance on that course, I add points, and I'll tally tally the points up. Slightly different to how I do it with UK betting. Mm-hmm. There is one there where I call a composite system, which I, it's basically explaining what I'm looking at in a UK horse race. And from that, I will decide one, two, three, whether I'm going to, whether the odds on the, who I think is going to win it are value, or would I be better off going for a place position if the odds are, you know, if it's 25 to 1 for a horse I think will finish second mm-hmm. at place prices, which bring that down to basically 5 to 1, there's more value there than going for the favourite who I think will win it at 2 to 1. Mm. You know, for the return on investment, the value is in going for the place market, which if it does win, all the better. So saying that what what would be the lowest odds you would be betting on for each way and for those that don't know what each way means it's basically you're not betting for the horse to win you're betting for the horse to to get placement within the three the first three positions at the end of the race um but yeah going back to my question what would be the sort of lowest odds you'd be looking for right the place so that people can actually make money in that sense most races, the places are the horse to finish first, second, or third. And what the bookmakers will do, they will say first three places, and we will offer you one fifth of the, the winner's odds. Hmm. So to make the, the maths easier, if the horse is at decimal 25 and they're offering one fifth, Five minutes twenty-five goes five. So if it wins, it will win at twenty-five. If it places first, second, or third, they pay out at odds of five. Hmm. There is a difference between American horse racing on the total of course. They have you know a win, place, and show, which is the equivalent of each way betting. But there, it's harder because. You've got to guess whether the horse is going to win the race, if it's going to place, which is second place, or if it's going to show, which is third place. And the odds offered will vary. Mm-hmm. If you're going to place basically one fifth odds, you want to divide the win odds by five plus one and you want better than two so that's the magic number that's, 2.0 that's, basically sometimes you'll be offered one quarter of the odds in which case you divide the win odds by four plus one and you want odds about two or more mm. that means if it comes second at odds of two placed you won't lose any money Anything above odds of two for the place money, you'll be making profit. I will occasionally take odds, place odds lower than two if I'm using a horse as a stake saver. 
which is where I'm backing one horse to win, that I I feel there's a danger horse who might beat it. And I rather also back the danger horse at a reduced stake money to win, or I will back the horse I want to win each way. Mm-hmm. Depends on how I feel at the time and what how I think the hate the race will turn out. I get it more wrong than right most of the time. <laughs> That's always good. <laughs> Could you explain to me what the sort of stakes are? So each race has a... I'm, I'm sort of guessing it would be the maximum amount of money they can take in from bets, I suppose. I don't know. Some races have $75,000. Some races have $50,000. Um, what does that correlate to, if you could tell us? Are you talking about where you'll have, say, a stakes race and it's a $50,000 race? Yeah, that's basically what I'm... That's the money paid out to the winning horse. Okay. It's normally, you know, sort of a certain percentage will go to the first horse. Horse finishing second will get a lower percentage. But it's a total amount of prize money for for the horses and the guns. So there's a lot of money to be made from horse racing for... People who are racing, I suppose. <laughs> there is, but you know, if you think the prize money will only be the top three horses, and you might have a dozen horses running, some people aren't going to make money. You know, the owner of that horse has got to pay his trainer's fees for the year. He's going to have vet fees for the, for the year. Food and upkeep has all got to come out of the prize money. So I suppose Cheltenham Festival would have very high payout fees for horses winning the races. Yes. <laughs> it, it, it can be. You know, there are million-dollar races. Wow. Uh, what have we got today? I think there's a $52,000 race at Gulfstream Race 5. As uh, a maiden special weight for fifty thousand, there's a, a plain old seventy-five thousand dollar stakes race. Yeah, there's there's a lot of money, but of course to win that money you've got to win or at least be placed. So the owners or connections, as we call them, do have to win a fair bit of money. So, unlike other sports, I suppose horse racing is sort of based around betting because if there is no betting the horse racing um, the horse racers um, the jockeys are not going to make money the horses are not going to make money Um, is that sort of correct in that sense or Uh, a lot again it it differs between UK racing European racing American racing American racing with the tote betting system that betting system is run by the racetrack. So all the money that's bet on horses are at that racetrack. Before it actually goes into the, the, the prize pool for paying out the betters, most race courses will take out 10% for their take. You'll then have state taxes, which could be 6% upwards. And so what's left is what's paid out to the betters. And the 10% the track takes is what goes for paying for the horse racing. Mm. 
UK racing is different because although you do have on-course bookmakers and they'll pay a fee for being there, most horse racing actually comes out of the bookmakers' money. It's paid for by bookmakers under government legislation. Mm. Each bookmaker has to pay a certain amount to horse racing board. You then get individual sponsorship of races from individuals or companies, which is why you, know, you get the Betfair Classic or whatever. They've put up some sponsorship money, but it won't necessarily cover the whole cost of holding that race. That all comes out from the total that the bookmakers pay. And that's that's historical more than anything. That's from mm. the days basically bookmakers you could either bet on football or you could bet on horse racing. A bit of dog racing maybe. Most other sports no one no one really bet on them. It's, yeah. it's only since about the eighties onwards where betting on other sports has has grown. Tennis being one of the main ones, of course. So you do enjoy making systems a lot, and you obviously have multiple topics about all of your systems, and you go well into depth uh, when it comes to explaining your analysis, and you're a fantastic statistician. Could you tell us about the systems you're working on at the moment? Uh, none I'm playing with at the moment. I'm, I'm normally playing with something. <laughs> Basically... If we talk about horse racing, I will either choose a horse through what's known as form reading, where I'm looking at the history of the horse, the trainers and that, or I will go to a database. And if I wanted to back favourites in races, statistic that has stood the test of time is roughly just over 30% of all favourites will win a race. Mm. Most of those favourites will be odds on, and in the long run, you will lose money. You're betting below evens, you're only winning 30% of the races, you're going to lose money. What you can do is narrow that down, so you're looking at favourites in a race of a certain length. It could go down to a certain track. So you're adding filters in to try and narrow those favourites down. And if you get it right, I, I haven't done it for a while. I did it last year. I played with this. And I, I got that I could hit a winning horse as a favourite 78% of the time. Oh, wow. At average odds of 1.82. So it's just breaking even over a long term really only worth doing if you're going to use an, an ABCD system, which I generally don't use. You know, I'll bet them to win or lose, but I won't try to chase up losses. Yeah, I try and get quite bossy, especially up. for horse racing. If you were to do ABC on horse racing, that's pretty scary, I would imagine. <laughs> it, it is and it isn't. If you think that most sports, NFL, whatever, you're back in at odds of 1.6, 1.8. So your A bet will be, say, $100. Your next bet will be bet at 
it is going to be quite a large amount. See that if or with horse racing, you're ninety percent of the time outside of favourites are back in above evens. If I sort of look at horses I I'm, I've looked at today, I'm betting at three. 3.574. So it might be $100 on the first race, but to win that back on the second race using a B bet, if my odds are seven, I'm actually laying more less money than I did on the first race. Mm. You, you can do it, but basically because you know your strike rate in horse racing is going to be somewhere between, if you're any good, 20-25%. You need to look at odds between 4 and 5 to break even over a, a length of time. If you're only going to win 1 in 5 races, doing, you know, doing ABCD or any type of betting like that, you're going to have... A long, long time between winners, mm-hmm. and most of the time you're only winning what you were hoping to win on the first bet. So, uh, from an RRI point of view, it's not very good. No, definitely not. <laughs> if, you're, if you're looking at you know, a, a 50, 60, 70 cent strike rate, it's it'll work. But generally, in horse racing, you you do straight betting and you you concentrate on getting your strike rate up. Because the odds are always already in your favour. I have worked out a system which is, you know, sort of betting one, one, two, three, five, where I would make more money. But then trying to remember where I am with that type of betting would drive me crazy. <laughs> if you're only doing one or two bets a day, it's fine. But when you're betting, you know, 19 races today, I think I've I've, I've bet on. Oh, wow. It's Do you bet live as well as the race is taking place? or I trade horse racing live, yes. No, not normally on horses I've done a straight bet on. Same with tennis. If I've put a straight to win or a lay bet in, I will not trade those ones because you confuse yourself. Mm. But many... One of the things in the UK, one of, one, of, one of its oddities really, is that before a race, all bookmakers will offer odds. And they'll be slightly different between bookmakers. But about 10 minutes before the start of a race, the on-track bookmakers come in. And by law, all the odds have to align. So when you get you know, the result with a starting price, all bookmakers have that same price. And that sort of line 10 minutes before the start of the race. Mm. One of the things I look at is the odds on a race, certain horses, and will that price go in or out at that time? And you can back it or lay it, you know, 15 minutes before the race, and then eight, nine minutes before the race, your hope to reverse that bet and make a few points difference. Other ways of betting is to back a horse before the start of a race and while the race is being run, 
going back to how horses run races, some horses will lead from the front. Some will sit in the middle of the pack, we call hold-up horses, waiting until the end where they, they go on their sprint finishing power to try and take the lead. Others will run it from the back and do the same thing. They happily plod along at the back, waiting until they hit the straight at the last before opening up to try and win it. Not everyone will know each horse's individual running style, and the odds may have a horse in the lead who you've backed at odds of four, and in running, it's got the lead, and its odds are going down to 1.8, 1.7, as it nears the finish. But you know there are two or three horses that are holding up, who at the end will overtake it. So you'll back that horse before running, hope it keeps the lead, and then lay it off as the odds drop. And the difference between your back price and your lay price is your profit. You don't actually care if it wins the race or not. Mm. You just want it to be in the lead and for the odds to drop. You can also reverse that if, if you've got an odds on favourite who you think will be beat, you'll lay it at the start of the race at you know, hopefully something like 1.8, 1.7. And as the race is running, someone will get in front of it, take the lead. Their odds will drop, but the horse you've laid, its odds will rise. And you hope to lay it off. You know, if you've laid it at 1.8, you'll, you'll back it in the race above two and you'll make your profit on that no difference to tennis trading you know, if you're back in the server or laying the server yeah you want to back it at a price or lay it at a price and reverse that if they win or lose their serve with tennis you may you know tennis you basically back the male server and you lay the female server because of the way holding their serve works you know, men tend to serve better uh, than women so the female serves are they definitely have to improve over the next years well as i say i generally back the male server you'll find most of that you know you can find servers at 80 percent holding their serve whereas women i think the average is something like 60 percent um do you bet on games or do you bet on sets in tennis Generally, I I have a set formula for doing tennis, and what I would do is I will start with backing or laying the server, depending male or female, to build up a, what we call green in the Betfair parlance, where your winnings are green and your losses are red, so you build up a bit of green, and then I I will usually try and add to that at the tie breaks. To add a bit, bit more value onto what I'm basically, I want to get a point with backing the server or laying the server where I'm making money, and then using what we term the bookmaker's money to add a bit more value onto a break point. That's a very ballsy play, <laughs> especially for tie breaks, which I personally consider to be an absolute breaks. devil when it comes to tennis for me at least like it's such I a I, I mean I will not do it on men's tennis I will do it on women's tennis because you get to know the player and which ones have got the mentality to hold their own 
it's you know it's Ostapenko's been doing terribly lately, but Ostapenko used to be someone you could rely on to once he got to a tiebreak to sort of win it. She's had a fantastic year last year back in 2018, and now 2019 came and she's just absolutely yeah. flat. I was backing her most of the time last year, and this year I've actually gone to laying her because she's she's not performed at all. Yeah, that's the thing with tennis that relying on statistics from last year, especially on tennis players who have been performing very well, you cannot expect that from the next year, especially towards the start of the season. You can sort of work out where they going to stand perhaps midway through the season, but at the start, I mean, you're always going to have the Djokovic's and the uh, Federer's and you know the top players who pretty much always have the form, but um, players who win tournaments, they tend to come out flat the next few months. It, and also Bank is an example of that. I'm I'm not that great on male tennis, I'll admit that. I I mainly concentrate on female tennis, women's tennis. Well Oscar is an example to of that. Follow players. But today we've got uh, Alison Van and I can't even pronounce, I can never pronounce her name. You check <laughs> and uh Makita Vondrosa. There are two mm-hmm. players I found both playing today in, in uh, Budapest. Alison playing at the moment, of course, and they're drawing 1 1. Those are players I will generally back every game. I don't normally trade them. I will normally put a straight back bet on. And over the course of the season, I, 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 I generally come out on top. There are players like Halep. I will always trade Halep. Get a bit more difficult now. She's got more confidence. But basically, Halep was a player who you could generally guarantee that she will get into a women's position and then play defensive and lose. Yeah, very common. You could you could see it every time when she and it's actually watching the players. It's I say uh, women I find far easier to watch because they're you get used to how they play and their mentality. You know, Bondarosa is a talented player, left-handed. So some players have difficulty playing against her simply for the fact that she's a left-handed player. Yeah, it's a great thing when you're trading. Well, perhaps you're not training this specific tennis player, but the time that it takes for a player to adjust to the other player's um, style of play, especially when it comes to... A left-hander, for example, you can always check how many left-handers they played in the past few weeks, and you will see that perhaps there is a huge edge towards the left-hander in this specific position because this opponent hasn't played her in a long time or hasn't played a single left-hander in a long time. Therefore, they're going to have to adjust, and they're going to take a while to adjust, and that that gives you sort of a room to to trade this specific Uh, player. You look back to the left-handers that have played, how have they performed against them? Mm. It's, you know, I'm, I'm actually left-handed as well, strangely enough. And, and I play <laughs> so you understand what it's like to. I'm, I'm, I'm even worse than most left-handers because I'm slightly ambidextrous. <laughs> so they play to my right. I will swap the bat from my left hand to my right hand. 
<laughs> I learned that when I was, you know, I used to play squash as well. And that was, people had a very hard time beating me because basically I, I had no backhand. Everything was forehand. It didn't matter which side you played, played me on. You don't see it in tennis because they're, they're trained to use, you know, a forehand or a backhand. Uh, enough, you you have players who are never using their backhand. Well, unless you consider a slice to be a backhand, which I wouldn't personally. But it's, <laughs> there are players out there who are just using a slice. I think there's a few female players like Nokorescu. Uh, I think she's a Romanian tennis player who has a very strange way of playing. And it's, you know, it's knowing how they play, how does the, how does the opponent react to them? You know, Vondra Sober, who's playing today, is a, a very attacking player. Mm. She's never really amounted to much. I, I think she's ranked something like 81. But she hasn't, won anything special for the last two years. She did have a good season in uh, 2017. But she's always a player who I I remember playing in Wimbledon in the uh, junior championship against Mm. Ostapenko, strangely enough. (laughs) Vondrasova was tipped the favourite to win it. And Ostapenko murdered her, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's when I sort of started noting Ostapenko herself. Huge talent that is getting wasted right now, in my opinion. But well, in tennis, generally look in the ITF and the Challenger for players and their records. Young players, and then wait for them to, to hit the WTA and we'll follow them through their career that way. Rondrasova's one, Benicek's another one. Mm. They were all on my sort of my my favourites lists. And basically, if you have a small pool of players that you can concentrate on and learn, watch every game they play, you get used to how they're playing. You then only need you know the first two or three serves in a match to see whether or not they're going to be on form or not. Mm. Uh, check at the moment coming into this match, which is a semi-final, was doing quite well. She, not having a hard game. I think it's only one game where she actually went 2-1. Mm-hmm. Uh, this match, she sort of lost the first set 6-3, pulled the second one back 6-4. And it's now whether or not she can win it. Well, I've been sat here. I've been placing small bets on her. <laughs> Do you follow, for example, Dan's system, which is a, basically, statistically, he has calculated that 86% of players win the match when they win the first set. Do you... I'm guessing you trade a lot of WTA matches, so you will know more about that. Also depends on the odds, obviously, if you're looking at sort of uh, favourites around 1.66. Dan is pretty damn accurate on that assessment for the women's tennis. So I don't know about the men's, but for the women's, it's it's 
it is accurate. There are upsets occasionally. Mm. With that system, though, is you've got to look at the odds also. Most of those who who are winning are going to be the favourites, and their odds are going to be about one point four or less. Mm. Heavy fight. I tend to go the opposite on that, and I lay the favourite between odds of one point seven and one point nine. On these are betfair odds. Mm. I have a system where, for men's and women's tennis, WTA, NHA. Not challenges or ITF matches doesn't work on that. But if you have the favourite and their odds are between 1.7 and 1.9, in the long run, it pays to lay lay them. Mm. If they do go on to win, you're not actually going to lose a full point. You're only going to lose 0.7 to 0.9 of an odd. Roughly 50% winners to losers. So in the long run, it makes money. That's one one system I, I do. Mm. I, I guess we could move to the next question since we spent a long time yeah, on this one. Long term. Nice one. Well, what I've done is hedged that match. I've got basically now a free a free bet on the as a new check winning it. Oh. Something that people, I don't think people use enough is hedging either. Especially in trade. If you're if you are trading, it's always good to hedge out a bit. Mm. Take a bit of profit and let the rest run as a free bet, win or lose. I'm a huge fan of hedging, especially in tennis. Like mm. the, the amount of comebacks that happen even on <laughs> When the player has four game advantage and three set points or three match points, even it happens frequently. It's if you're trading, always look to take a bit of profit. Don't be greedy. I'm happy on trading if I can take twenty percent profit mm. on a match. You know, I could let it run and hopefully get you know. 100% profit, but I'm long-term. Protect my bank, take a bit of profit. You'll take less in winnings at the end, but I'm playing for the long-term. Mm-hmm. I'm happy with that. So, do you tend to utilize any of the Z-Code's tools for your personal analysis in any of the sports? I do, strangely enough. Uh, what ones do I use? Uh, lines, line tool I use quite a lot. I, I have a problem that I'll, I'll use one tool and it will tell me something, and then I'll look at another tool and it will tell me the opposite. <laughs> which one I want to trust is getting confusing. I started with, uh, Hockey, mm. and first first day brilliantly. Everything I did, it it worked. And then the next day, totally the opposite. So 
you, I think you need to find a tool, get used to using it, and then stick with it. Mm. I've stopped sort of vexed on hockey at the moment why I play with this idea now. <laughs> and uh, I look at the scores predictor, uh, volatility oscillator, power rankings, and line re- reversals. Mm. These are the four tools I'm playing with at the moment. And uh, mainly I'm looking at hockey at the moment. That's one sport I'm actually. The other problem, of course, I've got to enjoy look, watching the game. Uh, American football games are too long for me. If I watch an football, American football game live, I'm looking at sort of four hours. Yeah. <laughs> which, which is not good. Whereas I can Most of the advertisements game. as well. Yeah. Hockey is shorter. Basketball is, is shorter. So I decided on hockey. I watch hockey anyway because I say my other half is a hockey fan. So even if I don't want to watch it, I normally have to watch it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm doing that and I'm trying to come up with a system for not hockey for myself this year. I've, I've taken most this week off from doing stuff for the pick of the day, mainly because I've been working on stuff I'm doing for Cheltenham, which is my next big meeting coming up in March, mm-hmm. where we have you know, eight races a day over four days, hundreds of horses to wheel down. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a meeting that I enjoy. I will go to it. I'll actually spend four days at the meeting. Mm-hmm. So I have to actually get all the work done beforehand. I think so far I'm about, I've done day number one, I'm halfway through day number two. Oh wow, so you've gone over, over 100 horses already. I've, More or less. I've got, I think, five horse races that I'm interested in on day one. And there's going to be a very similar amount on, on the other days as well. But it does take time, unfortunately. Yeah, if you're doing a football match where you've got two teams and you've just got to look up the stats for two teams, you know, you've got horse race when you're going to have 16 runners. Sometimes up to 30. And whereas you can sort of using that sort of 10-year trend, you can say, right, I'm looking for a horse that matches this type of, of profile for that mm. race. You're still going to only whittle it down to about six to eight horses and then you have to do the hard work of going through all, all the details on each horse, its strainer, its previous runs. And for a race like in the Cheltenham Festival, a, a single race will probably take me about six hours. Wow. So it's basically like analysing every single player on the pitch for soccer. And then yes. trying to find out information about their coach and <laughs> the, the, the shoe size and everything. Wow. Yeah, I think what was there today, we had the uh, the Winter Derby at Linkfield today. And that was only two two races I was interested in there, but that still took me something like four hours. Mm. And initially, it's whittling down the runners by profile. So I know that on the 205, 
I've not looked at the results. I don't know who won it. Sort of horses have a rating, and as horses win races, they receive a handicap, and this is their weighting. So, in a handicap race, horses are given weights to carry. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a horse that has won its last three races will be given you know, a nice bit of lead weight to put in their saddlebags to handicap them. Wow. So all the horses start off at the same handicap. They're all starting off about even, some running without weight, some running with, with weight added to them. The jockey's weight is included in this. And they're given a rating. So for a particular race, I'm in its recent history, the horses that won that race will have a rating of greater than, say, 96. Mm. So I can immediately decide that if that's a valid statistic, any horse less than 96 rating, I can dismiss. And that will get rid of probably half the runners, that one thing on its own. Mm. Next will be the odds range the horses will run at. The winners, what odds range did the winners win at? And on the 205 link field, out of the t- last 12 winners, 10 of them have come in at 8 to 1 or less. So it's not going to be a race that's typically won by an outsider. It's going to be someone from the middle of the pack to the favourite. Recent form, how long ago, or what is the time difference between running this race and the last time the horse ran, and how did it perform? So for this race, nine out of the last 12 winners, so we're looking at, also looking here at 12-year trends, nine of the horses run six weeks or less. So that's 75%. That comes in as to me as being a valid thing. Over, over 12 years, 75% of the horses, which is 9 out of 12, won that race having run within the last six weeks. Mm. You can then say, well, how many of those races were at Lingfield, where this race is? Mm-hmm. And again, it's 9 out of the last 12. So, again, it's 75%. Having a percentage and knowing the number of runners is important because you could say 75% of, you know, this, this horse has run this one 75% of the time, but if it's only run twice or four times and it's only won three of those races, it's not very good. Mm. You need to quantify the statistic. Where did it finish in its last race? If it finished first, second, third, it shows it's it's informed. If it finished last, it's possibly not informed and may not be ready for this race. So, mm. start with the number of runners. Try and use a common denominators to get rid of some of the runners who you don't think will win. Minute, get if you can get down to four to six runners and then look in depth. You'll, you'll save a lot of time. You may not have the winner. It does happen. 
but it's similar to you know a football game where you'll look at the head-to-heads, you'll look at the last few matches, have they won or lost. I also, in football, consider if they did lose, what did they lose by? Mm. You know, for the last three matches, have they been losing by less every match? If they've been losing, or have they been winning matches and then gone on a losing streak? Try to get into, you know, sort of their recent form saying they've won the last two matches isn't as good as saying, well, they've won the last two matches and they've totally dominated them. You know, they're on form and they're swinging rather than just being on form. Sorry, went on a bit there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I guess we could move on to the next question. Uh, I'm really curious about this one because obviously you trade horses and we're talking about really high odds at some sometimes. I mean, the horse can be 100 to 1 and win the race. So, I'm sure you have a success story, uh, whether it was a lot of money that you won from a horse or you put a lot of money on a horse and he won last second. Um, what is the most memorable moment in terms of you winning a bet in your career so far? Oh, this was actually last year when I was actually... Doing American horse racing is not something I've always done. It's only been the last sort of year or two. Mm. And it's one I actually put up on the on, on the thread where I had a horse running at 40 to 1. Mm. And it came in first. And then I had another horse run at 40 to 1, and that also won. And that's, you know, that, that really stuck in my mind because it's, very rare you'll get one winning. To have two is exceptional. <laughs> I can't remember their names, but I, I, I remember the day because it was, you know, sort of two forty to one winners is 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 quite rare. Mm. I can I, I do bet horses at big odds. I have a system for doing that. It's called the uh, big race trends a trend system, and you are normally betting odds of ten upwards. Mm-hmm. I've done it today. I've actually done it for America today because there's no real races I, I found interesting. And you tend to bet on place to win. Oh, sorry, for, for them to place rather than win the race as well, I suppose. I will bet to win most of the time. I'm of the opinion that if you think a horse is good enough to win it, then why are you betting to place it? Mm, okay. But I do have an odds cut-off, generally odds of 10. If it's above 10, I will generally do it each way. Mm. Not always, but most of the time. And that's basically because I am backing at such big odds. Mm -hmm. I think today I've done one, which is odds of 26 at uh, Gulfstream, base number five. There's a horse Mm. there called Greater Cairo. And I take an odds of twenty six on that, but and in the same race, another one called Zaya at seventeen. I don't actually think these are going to win. So <laughs> this an each way bet purely on the fact I think they will come second or third. Mm-hmm. 
I've got a horse I think will win it, which is called Hit the Town Running at uh, five and a half odds. And then I a horse called Historian, who I think has got a good chance of winning it at odds of 13. But because it's over my odds of 10 cut off the way, I think that each way. And that's purely because it's, it's odds based. I got. Mm-hmm. I think it will win the race, but there's a slight doubt that I think hit the town running will beat it. So it's a question of you know. I play to protect my bank. I'll I'll happily take the second place or third place and win some money than not win anything. Mm. Hi. So, so the last question that I have for you is, what sort of plans have you got for 2019? Or the rest of the year, that is, in terms of betting? I set myself a target this year, not in winning or losing. But generally, I found myself betting too much, too many races. And that's, so, you know, on a day, I might have 20 runners. I'm I'm betting on And when I looked back... Over, over my previous year and the year before that, I found out that I can actually get half as many and still have the same ROI. Mm-hmm. ROC, if you look at you know, the whole year. And so this year I have been doing less and less in terms of UK racing. I've stuck to basically free systems or backing horses. One is, I call them UK1, UK2. One is UK1, which is based on trainers, form reading, and the odds are generally anything up to six. So we're looking at the front of the market. It's going to be one of the top four horses. And I've set myself a target of no more than five races Mm. as a maximum. So that's a very interesting. You, you basically set yourself a target to bet less rather than bet more, <laughs> which well, is much idea, more profitable for you as well. It's a principle I call less is more. That if I can bet less but win more, mm. basically I need to cut out those races where I would normally have a bet, but I'm not got the same confidence level that that horse would win or that tennis player will win. So I won't... I'll make a conscious decision that I actually won't take that bet. It might be a value bet or not, but I now look at... I will go... My my method is actually to look at every horse, every race card, and then I will choose those races which interest me the most, that I can have the most confidence in the horse that I want to bet. I will pick a horse out in every race. I do this for the American races as well, where I will go through every race at every track and choose a horse. Same in the UK. I will then whittle that down into what would be my most confident bets. Mm-hmm. In America, it tends to, to... I don't know why this has happened, but it's three races per track. It's just worked out that way that I will choose three free races at a track, say aqueduct, and my strongest free bets are the ones I put down. 
and they are the only ones I will bet on. Mm-hmm. Um, I will have a you know list of the horse in every race, but my three most confident ones are the only the only three I will bet on. I will ignore all the other races from then on. In the UK, I have UK one where I've set a target of no more than five bets. UK two, which is generally looking at bigger odds. And that can be anything up to 25 to one. I will be looking at horses that I think will place. Mm-hmm. Not, they may win, but I'm, I'm going to be backing each way on a lot of them. To, to place that system has changed slightly I've, I've concentrated more on trainers now with that one and that's actually from last month to this month is showing quite a difference uh, I do weekends I will do where you get the big racing tracks. I will do the uh, my racing trends not always posting for that one at the moment mm-hmm. I did this weekend although I've put Put the profiles up on 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 Z code. I've not actually backed any of those per se. There's one or two I've, I've had a bet on. Mm. Uh, other than that, I do daily American racing, where my my system of free comes in. <laughs> uh, percentage wise, winners on that I think is roughly about thirty three percent winners and sixty percent. Going back on my records, I actually thought I actually recall each each horse, each track that I think will win, and I actually keep a, a, a running tally of where they come first, second, or third, or nowhere. And I basically will put up my three strongest tracks, which at the moment is Aqueduct, Penn National, and Charlestown. As an average, I'm scoring placed over seventy percent at each one of those tracks. And about thirty three percent on winnings. Mm. Most American tracks, I'm probably in the ballpark for winning at sort of twenty to twenty five percent, which isn't high enough on the odds I would be getting. So mm-hmm. those I, I don't back. So wow. now I'm so I'm aiming to bet less. And also narrow the criteria, the filters, to only bet those those ones I'm most confident in, rather than having it. You know, it might win, but it may not. If I don't think it's going to win, I'm not going to back it. Mm. So, in other words, less is more for you. <laughs> that's that's my motto for this year. Less is more. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Anthony. I guess we, we have more than enough material to um, for this podcast. We may even have for two episodes, to be honest. <laughs> you've been, you've been an, an amazing guest. Uh, I think people are going to love it because you obviously you provided something new that not many know about, some fantastic knowledge on horse racing, uh, which I even find really fascinating. And, you know, the questions I asked were sort of, personal questions as well that I had about horse racing and thank you so much for coming on yeah I'm always willing to answer questions for you it's not a problem (laughs) and 
Well, I'm actually hoping to see you more on the Z code wall rather than just the forums. Uh, that's that's part of the. I've, I've looked. I, I pop to the board and I've board occasionally, mm. but most of my betting is sort of reactionary. You know, if you're doing a training a bet, uh, a tennis game, you've only you know you've got less than a minute to decide what you're doing. Yeah, I, I understand. And you can't that. do that and make a post at the same time. So I I generally don't do that. Mm. Yeah. So, I'm not, I'm, although I do visit the uh, live forum, I don't generally post there. <laughs> okay, thank you so much, Anthony. Listen, have and a nice you, day. Uh, and the you. podcast will probably go out. Um, it's probably going to happen early next month, to be honest, because we want to cover one episode per month. And I just had Michael last week. So I think that's oh. going to be the first uh, first episode that's going to go out this month, and you're going to be the first one on uh, March, early March, I believe. I look forward to Michael's one actually. So he's, he's a new member as well. Person. Yeah, it does seem a very interesting person. I, I, I read his comments quite often. Yeah, he's a, he's actually a firefighter. <laughs> yeah. I, one of the questions I had for him was because um, it's, it's he's a very interesting guy and he sort of he uses betting as a way of um, de-stress from work. I just kind of, <laughs> it was just like, how on earth do you do that? I mean, you go from <laughs> you know being a firefighter to coming home and then placing bets. I mean, you know, placing bets. I think for for a lot of people, it's a stressful thing. You know, you're watching a match and like last second, especially in tennis when you're watching a tie break and you, you know, it can go in any way. Well, you have the statistics, of course, but it can go I've to got, like six to one. I don't, and then I don't actually get stressed anymore. I'm, Not anymore. <laughs> no, back when I started the first couple of years, yes, I used to, you know, anxiety over which 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 one will win and well and now it's just a case of well put the bet on we'll see what happens close your eyes and hope for the best <laughs> if i win i win if i lose i lose mm. yeah I, I i don't stress you know i'm watching this alison vanuchek game now and i'm just enjoying it yeah. i've well it also helps that i've greened up so i've actually <laughs> From a better viewpoint, I've won. Yeah. But uh, even if, if I had actually, you know, my money on the game now, I don't, I don't, I don't stress anymore. It doesn't, doesn't work. Oh wow, she's back again. Five <laughs> mm, four at the moment. Imagine and you above. had all, all the, you went all in on this match, and uh, <laughs> not quite all in. I, I, I started off with a lay bet. On Alexandrova, odds of one point seven one, and then I didn't actually back Vanucek until the odds went out up to five point eight, <laughs> which was after she'd lost the first set, of course. Because basically, this this I was treating as one of my my lay games, so it's one point between one point seven one point nine. I'll lay the favourite. Mm. As it was, because we're chatting and I'm I'm I'm, I'm watching the game and <laughs> on bet there. You know, Alice Van Duchek 
fights back. She's renowned for it. So yeah, when I see was, she was down two five last time I checked. Uh, she's back out to five point eight at the moment. But uh, you know the odds went out to seven something, and I'd, I'd had a nibble at four, and I'd had a nibble at five, so I had another nibble at seven, and I've ended up with odds at five point eight to back in her. Mm. I greened up for two point eight. And now I've got a free bet. So I'm £379, irrespective of who wins. Which is a good day. Really good day. Thank you, Anthony. I'm going to wish you a even better day. It's only 6 o'clock still, so you have plenty of time. I, I like the weekends because most of the tennis is finished and you're only looking at sort of the semi-finals and the finals. So I, I won't tend to trade much at the weekends on the tennis. Horse racing, different matter. <laughs> One of my main problems with American horse racing on that there is there isn't a lot of money about for it. Mm. You know, if you think this tennis game has got over a million pound matched, You'll go to a, a, a British horse racing, which will have you know thousands, and then you look at American horse race on Betfair, and it's only got a few hundred at most. I'd love it to grow up a bit more. Perhaps Betfair mm-hmm. needs to go to the states and open up there. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna leave you to it. And as I said, the episode will come out early next month. Thank you, Anthony. Best wishes and luck to you, Jack. And same to you. Thank you. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Z-Code Sports Betting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show today. Remember to go to iTunes and post your comment and topic suggestion for the next episode. We love to hear from you. See you on the next show. Have a fantastic day.